Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer Anita Morianji. And Anita's story is unlike any other near-death experience we've had on the show before. She was able to have a miraculous healing of her terminal cancer after she came back from her near-death experience. Her story is truly remarkable, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Anita Morjani. How are you doing, Anita? I'm doing great. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've I've wanted to have you on the show for a while now. I'm so glad our schedule is finally locked up that we could do because you're busy, very busy lady, uh, spreading the word, helping people around the world. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to talk to our audience. Uh, and, and you've had a, a pretty interesting journey, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yes, say the least. <laughs> so can you tell, first question is, can you tell me what your life was like prior to your near-death experience? Were you spiritual, not spiritual? What was your whole life like before before the diagnosis, honestly? So I I was actually, I thought I was really spiritual. And I didn't realize until later, until after the near-death experience, that my spirituality actually stemmed from a place of fear. But I was very spiritual in that I um, I would live my life in a way that uh, would reduce bad karma, if you will. Um, so I was always uh, trying to be more spiritual. I always believed, oh, I need to be more spiritual. I need to meditate more. I need to pray more. And I need to go to more spiritual classes and and meetings and temples and churches, you know, so I was very conscientiously spiritual. Um, I had a lot of fears during that time of my life, fears of the afterlife, fear of disapproval, fear of disappointing people. I never felt I was good enough. And um, I um, had always felt that my dad was disapproving of me my entire life because of our culture and because I was against arranged marriages, but in our culture, women are groomed for arranged mm-hmm. marriages, especially at that time, the time that I grew up. So um, so I would um, try to be the good daughter, and but, but the thing is that there was this big part of me that just didn't want an arranged marriage. In fact, my parents arranged a marriage for me and I ran away, which caused a lot of um, furor in our community. Uh, I wanted to be free. I wanted to uh, work and earn my own money and I wanted to travel the world. But in our culture, your father, your dad is supposed to take care of you until you get married and then your husband is supposed to take care of you. And, um, And I was engaged to a man that I knew did not want me to work and they did not approve of it. Uh, so that didn't feel right for me. And they wanted me to continue to improve my housework and my homemaking skills. And I'm going to admit here that I am terrible at housework. <laughs> but my my uh, worth was measured by how good I was at housework. And <sighs> and it's the, it's the same with a lot of women from my culture at that time. This is growing up in the 80s, particularly um so that was my life before my ND but I did meet an amazing man uh Danny who I married who was with me through the journey and that's the best thing that I ever did in that part of my life 
So tell me about what happened when you had your diagnosis of cancer. So I was diagnosed diagnosed in 2002, um, and it started with a with a lump on my um, literally on my shoulder, like between my neck and my shoulder, and it was. Uh, so I went to have it checked out, and they did a biopsy. And it was diagnosed as lymphatic cancer. At that time, it was staged as a stage two. Um, And then over the years, so the thing is, what was going on for me at that time was that my two people very close to me in my life and the same age as me, both had cancer. Both of them were dying of cancer. They had both had terminal cancer. They were dying of cancer. One of them was my best friend who's as close to me as a sister. Um, we grew up together. So it was a shock when she was diagnosed. And um, and then my husband's brother-in-law, also the same age as me, was diagnosed. And, uh, and, and so both of them were having the best or most expensive treatments that money can buy in the best cancer hospitals. One of the, we were living in Hong Kong. One of them was being treated in the best cancer hospital in New York and the other one in the best cancer hospital in Hong Kong. But both of them continued to deteriorate. And when I, from my perspective, it looked like every time they had a treatment, they were getting worse. So when I was diagnosed and the only option I was given was the same treatment they were given, you know, the chemo, the radiation, I was like, no, I don't want that. I'm going to take my chances with natural treatments because I am seeing these two people very close to me are deteriorating and dying and they're having the best treatment that money can buy in the world. Um, So I did opt for natural therapies, but interestingly, I would get better and then I would get worse. I would get better and I would get worse. And, And I went through this over a period of four years and I reached a point where I started to really deteriorate because it started when a doctor told me that I had to, uh, sorry, that uh, who said that I needed to get some scans to get real about where it's at. Hmm. And then he, so this is what's really interesting. I was being treated by an Ayurvedic doctor in India and I was actually feeling a lot better. And the doctor was telling me I was getting a lot better. Uh, and, uh, so I was feeling so much better. I looked better. Everybody said I was better. And then I fell into the, you know, uh, I fell into again with people telling me, oh, you need to get scans from a West, from a real doctor. You need to go to a well, real doctor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, um, so I, I succumbed. I went to a Western doctor who did the scans and said that, said that I was being foolish going to the Eastern doctors and everything mm-hmm. and did the scans. And then he he told me, you only have three months to live at this rate. Mm-hmm. And after I heard that, my health deteriorated dramatically, like dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, uh, I was um, then started to then, um, stop I, my body stopped absorbing nutrition. I'd lost my appetite. Um, I, I was, my muscles started to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could not walk anymore. My lungs were filled with fluid. I just deteriorated. I got worse and worse and worse very rapidly. And then, um, on the morning of, uh, February the 2nd, 2006, uh, I didn't wake up. I was in a coma and my husband was freaking out. He rushed me to the hospital and uh, the doctors said, this is it. She's not coming out. She's dying. But unbeknownst to everybody around me, <laughs> I was feeling amazing. My my, I had left my body, my spirit, my soul, whatever we want to call it, had actually left my body. And... Uh, I was feeling incredible and light and free. Oh, and I also want to add one more thing is that at this point where I was at, where I went to the doctor and everything, at this point, the doctor actually said 
that whatever we have, the chemo and everything that we have will no longer work for you. It's too late. That's what the doctors said. They said, you know, we can throw everything at it, but it's too late. It's not going to save your life. They even God, said that. God, God love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really quick, before you get into your near-death experience, I just think this is a really important point to kind of to, to kind of dive into a little bit, is that your mindset changed by someone in authority who you believed, and by that case, your body reacted to what you believed was to be true. But when you were with the Ayurvedic doctor, you were feeling great. Everything was moving along because he told you a different story that you believed. You're like, you're getting healthier. I'm like, oh, you know what? I am getting healthier. But the second you have three months to live, you're like, I'm dying. Boom. And your entire body started to shut down based on that. those few words. Is that yes. what happened in your opinion? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's what I, that's what it felt for me. Yes. Correct. That is what I know. And, and, and sometimes I hesitate sharing that part of it so definitively and clearly because there are people that are, um, that have great doctors. There are some great doctors and they're being treated Mm -hmm. right now. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to disrupt anything that's working for them. Uh, exactly it is a case-by-case basis but it does show the power of the mind yes the the placebo effect essentially a hundred percent and this is why i like to appeal to doctors to please watch your words this is the thing they don't realize the power they have and i've seen it happen time and time again to other people who talk to me who share with me that my story helped them they say exactly the same thing what you and i just said that they felt worse or they're really, really scared because of what their doctor told them, but they were doing fine until they had the diagnosis. Hopefully this conversation will help a few more people along the way. So, um, so tell me when you had your near death experience, you said you were feeling great. At what point did you leave your body? Exactly. Do you remember seeing your body? How did that go? So I was aware, for example, that my husband was rushing me to the hospital when I didn't wake up. That was when he rushed me. He called the doctor. The doctor said, bring her to the hospital. I was aware of everything that was going on around me. My husband um, being frantic, rushing me to the hospital, my family being there, my brother, my mom, they were all there. They were all told that these were my final hours and that I was dying and I wasn't going to come out of the coma. So I was aware of everything that was happening around me, but I was also aware that to them, I was not there, like nobody was home. I was gone and I was aware of that. And it was when I was in the hospital that I started to realize, oh, I'm not just in my body. I'm more than my body. And it felt like I was expanding outside of my body. And I was, and I started to become aware of things like what the nurses were doing, what the doctors were doing. And And I was aware of things that were happening outside the room and the conversations they were having. I was hearing uh, and watching the conversations between my doctor and my husband. And I saw and heard the doctor tell my husband that, oh, she's not even going to make it, you know, that like basically he said, she's not even going to make it through through tonight. Mm -hmm. And these are her final hours. And I watched him say that. And then, uh, um, I, I felt myself continue to expand though, beyond the hospital. And the next thing I remember is that I entered what I call like a state of clarity, but in this state, I was surrounded by other beings that were not on this world. So, so I started to lose the awareness of the physical, of the Mm -hmm. people that were physically around me. And started to gain awareness of people that were non-physical that were around me. And some of them I recognized as being people I knew in this life. One of them was my best friend who had passed from cancer. She'd passed two years prior and she was there to greet me. Another one was my dad who had passed 10 years prior. And, you know, I'd always felt I'd let my dad down and we'd always clashed and that, um, and that he was disappointed in me. But here in this other realm, all I felt from him was pure, unconditional love. Mm. 
just love. And, and it felt like, um, so, so we can't, we don't have physical biological bodies. We don't have vocal cords. We don't have eyes. So it's a very different type of perception and it's, um, it's pure awareness. So my dad didn't have to speak to me. Um, it was, I knew what he wanted me to know. It was like his energy and my energy just, just, you know, just, just enmeshed. We just merged together and I knew everything. So, so what happens is you, you, see them but not with physical eyes it's like you know that their physical body is not there but my awareness was able to uh have images of who that is so i would get images of my dad as i knew him in this physical life but it but he wasn't physical it was just mm -hmm. his essence and one of the things i realized is that when we cross over not only do we leave behind our physical bodies, um, but we also leave behind our gender, our race, our culture, our religion, our beliefs. Um, so many, like all of this is a here thing, not a there thing. And mm. that's when I realized that the only thing that crosses over is our pure essence. And our pure essence is... I would call it pure love or pure God or pure source energy or pure consciousness. We can call it whatever we want, but it's pure essence. And so here I was with my dad's pure essence and my pure essence. And it was like we could just merge so I could understand him and he could understand me. And I understood that just as I had always believed I was a victim of my culture, he was a victim of the same culture and just doing the best he could within the culture. And what, and what else were you seeing around? What, what, what kind of space were you in? It was, so this was interesting. It was wherever I wanted it to be. Um, so when I would focus on my husband from this life, uh, Danny, when I'd focus on him, I would see other lives that I've had with him. I would see the potential future I have. So the space would be filled with other time and places that I have encountered with this person. It was very abstract and esoteric. And, um, and so my brother was there. My brother had flown down from India to get to me before I passed. And I remember um, like, as soon as I put my awareness on my brother, I felt, oh, I can't, I can't die just yet. And I immediately saw a lifetime, and this is what was in front of me, a lifetime of him and me together, uh, where I was much older than him. He's older than me in this life. But I saw a lifetime of him and me together where I was much older than him. And I was very protective of him. And, and it's true that even in this lifetime, even though he's older, <laughs> I feel protective of him. So... Um, and then when I saw, when I was, my awareness was on my husband, Danny, I was immediately um, aware of a scene in my future of this life, which hadn't panned out yet, of Danny and I fulfilling a purpose together. And I understood that we still had work to do together here, and I hadn't fulfilled it yet. And that if I didn't come back to fulfill it, if I crossed over he wouldn't be able to fulfill his side of the purpose. That's fascinating. So it's almost like you're inside of a, for lack of a better word, almost like a holographic deck. Very yeah. almost Star Trek-y uh, in that sense that you see images, but they're really lifelike. And it's kind of like, you, is it like giant screens or is it just different scenes? It's like you're immersed in it. It's like it's around you're you. It's just like, yeah. Oh, so it's and like so it's exactly like a holodeck. Like you it, walk it in is, and it's like you're looking around and you're in a virtual like reality. There. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, like you're there. And and this is why I often say that um, time is not linear on the other side because I could access the future, I could access the past, I could access any life that pertained to my experiences right here. So it's sort of like my experiences here in this physical life it feeds into that narrative, that total narrative of who my soul is. 
My soul has this journey that's experienced multiple lives, but my soul has access to this holodeck of all the lives and all the experiences to uh, allow it to, um, to inform this current life, for want of a better way of saying it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So yeah, in other lives, uh, from my understanding, is that you don't address all of either karma or challenges that you want as a soul to achieve in every life. You have aspects of it. So life A and B, uh, you have to do this or this. You and, and C, you did this thing that you really want to get over. But in this life, you're only going to deal with A and B and C, you'll deal with in the next life. Something along those lines, correct? Something along those lines. But this experience changed my view on karma. It changed my view on everything, on spirituality, what it means to be spiritual, on religion, on karma, on everything. Because I thought of karma as straightforward. You know, it's like you do something bad, you pay it back either this life or the next. And mm -hmm. I thought of it as very straightforward. Um, and so when I was having going through the cancer and it wasn't healing, um, I've had people, even spiritual gurus tell me, it's your karma, you need to do more good work. And when I crossed over, I realized it wasn't my karma, you know? So, so basically I was somebody prior to the near-death experience, and I'm sorry to be jumping all over the place. It sure, just seems please. relevant. Please. Um, I was somebody prior to the near-death experience who was very much a people pleaser. You know, I was always taught to serve other people, to be subservient, to be groomed, to be a good wife to a husband someday. Um, <clears throat> so, so when I was told that it's because of your karma, there's something in your karma that you have to clean up and that's why you have cancer. So there where I was already a people pleaser, a doormat and everything, and now being told, oh, I need to do more good work. And so that made me even more of a people pleaser, martyr, charitable, so much so that that I was, you know, practically like prostrating myself for anybody mm. to walk over me because I did not want to contribute to the bad karma that was feeding the cancer that was not healing. Um, so how do you? So, how, so how did your ideas of karma change then? What I realized was that it was the complete opposite. I was meant to express myself fully, not suppress myself. I was meant to come here and be a full expression of this soul that chose to come into this body. And that and the the fact that we believe that we constantly have to work at being good means our fundamental belief about ourselves is that we're not good, we're bad, we need to work on ourselves. That is actually the flaw, the belief that we're not good. We really have to know that hey, my soul is amazing. My soul is a facet of God. So basically what I learned is that each one of us is a facet of God or love or pure consciousness expressing itself through this body. Mm -hmm. And when we do things that are not good, it's because we've lost our way. We've lost sight of that. We've lost sight of who we truly are. And so I had been repressing who I am because of cultural conditioning, social conditioning. I had repressed who I am. So this was my body's way of saying, hey, this is not who you are. The body is kind of fighting back. Your soul is fighting back. And so when I learned that, oh my God, I'm much more powerful than I thought. I'm, um, I'm an expression of God. That's when I made the decision to come back into my body and I was, um, you know, and, and then I was, I had this message. It was actually my dad that now that you know the truth of who you really are and who you're meant to be, your body will heal very, very dramatically. And that's so we, exactly what happened. So really quick, before we get to that, go to finishing off your near-death experience, the karmic aspect of things, because from my understanding, I agree with you, it, this whole tit-for-tat thing is not what I've understood too from speaking to so many near-death experiencers and spiritual masters and so on. My understanding of karma is more of 
the soul's choice to, when they do come back, I have to experience the opposite of this for me to continue this journey. And it's a choice. It is not a rule. Is that kind of how you see it? Kind of. Let me tell you exactly how I see it. Again, it's all, there's, it's interpretation and people use sure. different words. So I never want to make anyone else wrong, you know, with mm -hmm. near-death experiences. We all struggle with finding the right language to interpret right. it. And so right. sometimes you have to hear from a few different people to piece it together. Mm -hmm. So my version of it is that, um, is that, uh, we do choose, we definitely choose to come here, but I, the way it felt for me uh, is that my soul chose to come here and my soul had an intention. So it comes with an intention and this addresses, uh, you know, what is free will and what is destiny. So for me, uh, destiny is not written in stone. Uh, following your destiny means following the intention of your soul. What did my soul plan to come here to accomplish and achieve and do and be? And how did my soul plan to come and change the world and be of service and so on? And so you come with this intention. But while we're here, we sometimes get knocked off the rails. We get derailed. Our things we learn, things we teach, we lose our way. And in my case... I've forgotten, we, we all forget along the mm -hmm. way. In my case, I completely repressed who I am to the point where my soul was fighting back by giving me symptoms and wake up calls in my body that this is not who you are. You're not here to be a doormat. You're not here to succumb to all this fear. You're not here to be a people pleaser. You're much more powerful than that. Um, but there I was repressing it. I was fighting it because I felt I, you know, I, I can't let my dad down. I can't let my culture down. I, um, so, so I was going against the intention of my soul. We always, so the intention is what I call the destiny. And we can choose to follow that intention or not. And that is our free will. Right. So, so they both go into each other. So now, Back to karma, I don't see it as simplistic as um, you do the opposite in the next life. I think what it is, is that when, not even I think this is what it felt for me, when I was there, it felt like you review your life. For me, my life review came in the form of a tapestry where I could see my entire journey of my soul, of every lifetime it had lived, and how this life contributes to the journey, the entire journey of the soul. So you're not, you don't always need to, you can get your lessons even from between your lives or even from having experienced something, doing something horrible to somebody. You don't need to have it done back to you. You can even get your lesson from, oh my God, that was such an awful thing to do. I would do it differently if I could do it again. And you get a chance to do it again instead of having it done to you. So karma is not that straightforward as I once thought it was. That makes, I, I understand what I understand what you're saying. And it actually makes sense. And, and again, the language is very difficult to kind of put into words with our limited language to express these things. Now you're saying your life review, your life review is very interesting because I've, out of all the near-death experiences I've heard, I've never heard, that I remember at least, a life review that did all of the lives, or at least all of the lives that pertained to Did this me. life at yeah. one time, and seeing this giant blueprint of how each life is gaining for your journey, if you will. Um, did you feel, because I hear this from other life, uh, other life reviewers, that you feel what the other person was yes. going through? You, that happened to you as well? Yes, 100%. And I was feeling not only, uh, I was feeling even the feelings of the people who were there around my physical body in the hospital while I was mm. dying. I was feeling the emotions of my husband, my mom, my brother, the doctors, the nurses. The nurses were amazing. They're just, you know, they're just beautiful souls who really, really wanted to help me. And they felt for me, they knew I was dying and they were feeling helpless. But even the doctors, bless them, 
their hearts are really in the right place. They, they want to help the patient when they see the patient is dying. I could feel all of that. Um, so, and in the and life and, think, and in the life review as well, and in the life review. So I could feel that actually happening in the present moment. But when I was in, in like viewing my life as a giant tapestry, I could feel like say what I had done to other people. But also what was really interesting is even things that I thought I had done wrong. There were, there was certain things that I thought, oh, actually you were meant to do that. You weren't wrong. You actually did good in the world. So for example, I ran away from an arranged marriage. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I thought that's awful because I brought shame to him and his family and everything. Now I paid for that shame here, but I didn't see it that way. Like I, you kind of assume that, oh, you're going to pay for it in the afterlife or in the next life, because I, it was really shameful for the, my prospective husband, my fiance at that time and, and the family. And I brought my, my family down and no Indian man wanted to marry me after I had done that. And so I thought I'm going to really pay for this karma in my next life. And so you live with that guilt and you're suffering with that guilt that's kind of eating at you. And what I realized when I cross over is that, oh, you've suffered enough. You're not going to pay for it in the next life. In fact, look at the good that happened. Look at all these young Indian women who were inspired by what you did and who have actually said no before getting into that situation because they're like, oh, I don't want to get, uh, I don't, I don't want to get into a situation like Anita did. And they're standing up and they're saying, good for you for doing that. So it's like, wow, you get the other perspective as well. And you also understand that you have already suffered enough for something that you think that you're going to suffer in the afterlife for because you've already carried that burden in this life. That's that's really, really beautiful. And and it's it's another example of that good and bad is really a perspective of social conditioning and cultural conditioning, where something good in India might be something negative in the West or vice versa. It's really about cultural. So, but the ultimate, I guess, uh, not judge, but the ultimate version of what's good and bad on the other side, you're like, oh, what you thought was good or bad. No, you did the right thing. It might yeah. have not made people around you very happy, but you did the right thing. And it also did this, 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 and this that helped you. And you're obviously not going to suffer anymore because you beat yourself up for the next 20 years after that situation. So you're solid is essentially <laughs> what happened. <laughs> yes. And 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 the other thing is that, um, you know, culturally, many of us are conditioned to fear the afterlife and we live our lives doing things out of a fear of the afterlife, I realized there is nothing to fear. And that's really the big point here is that where I thought I was going to be punished and everything. No, it's very benevolent in the afterlife. Very, very benevolent. And I felt as though all my loved ones and, you know, everybody, my guides, my whoever you want to call like source energy itself Mm -hmm. was revering me. It was like a big like welcome back and you've been through an arduous journey and it's it feels like if i put human language or feelings or human uh um uh words to it it it's like a feeling of coming home but it's almost like a feeling of being thrown a welcome home party mm-hmm. and and what i realized is they revere us. It's like you get kudos for coming through this journey because nobody mm-hmm. comes out of it alive. So you get... <laughs> <laughs> it's like they always said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but just not right now. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I've heard that before as well, that there, this is like a celebration that, you know, that we're down here and that this is not easy. This is a very challenging process of yeah. of learning and growing and going through all of this stuff that you could only do in this dimension and this in this reality as opposed to you can't do that in the other reality on the other side you can't 
yes. go through the same emotions and energies and ego and all this kind of stuff on the other side. What else did you see when you were on the other side? You're going through this life review. You spoke about spirit guides. So you did see spirit guides. You saw your relatives. Did any deities or people that you felt show up to help? Because I always say Jesus is the most, uh, <laughs> the busiest man on the other side. He's constantly showing up and working. But I'm curious from your cultural background, did you see anybody that you uh, connected with? So for me, it was really interesting and, and, and people challenge me on this because, and I get challenged by different people who believe in different deities. Sure. I realized that um, they showed up for me in whatever way I want them to. So in other words, if I wanted it to be Krishna, it would be Krishna. If I wanted it to be Buddha, it was Buddha. If I wanted it to be Jesus, that's who it was. But it was pure love essence. It was neither male nor female. It wasn't a physical being, um, you know, and uh, I, uh, so if I wanted it to be Kuan Yin, that's who it was. It's So, so and, and I hear that that's because it's, the, the near-death experience or the afterlife experience when you're transitioning back to home, it's a custom-built scenario for you. It's, yes. it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think I had a weird experience because I grew up in a very multicultural environment. I mean, mm -hmm. my parents are Hindu. I grew up in Hong Kong, which is a primarily... Chinese city that's Taoist and Buddhist, but I had a British education where all my peers, my school friends, all the way through in my entire school life were all British kids. And so, you know, and it was because of them that I learned, oh, I don't want an arranged marriage. I want to have a career. I want, I want to do what they're doing. And in school, we learned about the Bible, but luckily in my high school, I went to a more secular school where we learned about all the different religions. But at the same time, I would go, I had a Chinese nanny who would take me to Buddhist temples. Um, you know, at, at school, we learned about church. My parents would take me to the Hindu temple. So that's why I think I had a very weird and eclectic near-death experience. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going through your life review. Uh, you're, 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 I see your father is essentially your main main guide through this process. Yes and no. There was, they felt like there was something beyond him as well, you know, and uh, so this is where it gets a little bit interesting because it felt like we are all connected. Like even my dad and I, we were connected. And so my dad was the one who I identified from this physical life, but there was still like an overarching energy, which I just call pure consciousness, which is the way I describe it is that it is the consciousness of all of us, every being, everything in the whole universe, all put together, all, it is just the total consciousness. And when we are in this spirit form, that is also informing us for want of a better way of putting it that is where the unconditional love when i say i was bathed in this feeling of unconditional love mm -hmm. and and it was like i immersed and merged with this state of being it was like that that is what i would call god it's not a person it has no gender but it's that energy that and all of us have access to it so then when you're, so you're looking at the life review, you're talking to your father, you have this bath of energy. I'm assuming once you figure out, like, I, I have to kind of go back because if not, my husband and I can continue what I intended to do in this life. At, at what point do you, are you saying goodbye? Are you instantly pitched back? Or is there a conversation about this? How did that yes. go? So at first, no part, part of me wanted to go back. So at first, I didn't realize that my body was going to be healed. But also, it's so amazing on that side. And life <laughs> felt like such a struggle. Right. So I said, no, I'm not going back. And then I get the information that my husband's purpose is linked to mine. And that if uh, I don't go back, he would cross over, you know, quite soon, six months, whatever. And I was 
fine with that. It's like, okay, he'll cross over and he'll join me over here. How dare you, Anita? How dare you? <laughs> You're like, it's fine. Just come on over. Die already, for God's sakes. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> and and we we don't have children. And so right. I felt we, we're going to be together anyway. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, and no part of me wanted to go back. But then I started to, when I really started to understand that I had a bigger purpose, I had intended to come here. And in a way, and it was interesting, I didn't know exactly what the purpose was, but I could see that I was meant to impact a lot of people, but I didn't know how I was going to impact them. And I could see that in one way, it was going to be a life of service, but not in the old way that I used to think service was. It was a way of being of service to people while honoring myself and my own physical body and um, not um, uh, and, and not martyring myself for other people the way I used to. Um, but I didn't know, I still didn't know what, how it was going to unfold or what it's going to look like. But they said, basically, you came here with the intention of making the world a better place. And in the first round of my life, I had gone about it the wrong way, thinking by making the world a better place was really to be a martyr and deplete myself and be of service to everyone around me except me. And what I understood is that I had grown up and spent the first part of my life being of service to people and learning to see the God in everybody's eyes. You know, it's like be of service to everybody because everybody is an expression of God. What I had failed to do was to see the God in my own eyes. And that's what I learned on the other side. And that's when I knew it was okay to come back. As long as I remember that I am also a facet of God and always see the God in my own eyes. And then how did you, what was the process of you coming back? Did you get slammed back in? Did you drift in? Did you come through the belly button? How did, how did that whole conversation, once you realized I've got to go back, what was the next step? I actually once, um, so the last things that my dad said to me was, now that you know the truth of who you really are, go back and live your life fearlessly. And as soon as he said that, and I knew that my body was going to heal. And so when he said that, literally just, it felt like just seconds after he said that, it felt like my eyes started to open in my physical body. It was like I drifted, I drifted into my body seamlessly. It was very seamless. I didn't have a hard bump or anything. Mm -hmm. Seamlessly, my eyes started to open, but I wasn't fully in this world yet. I was, I, I started to, talk, I looked around and there was my family, my husband, my brother, my mom. And I started to say, dad's here, dad's here. Dad says, I'm going to be okay. And they heard me say this and they thought, what's going on with her? But they were elated that I was opening my eyes. Right. Um, they were really, really elated that it looked like I was coming out of the coma. So they called the doctor and this was a doctor who had just started his, um, like, he just had started working on me when I entered this hospital. I had never met him before and I entered the hospital in a coma. Um, so, but I addressed him by his name. I said, I said, good afternoon, Dr. Chan. And he said, how do you know my name? And I said, aren't you the one that's been treating me? And uh, so I'd been in the coma for about 30, 36 hours. And he said, but you were in the coma. And I, and I just went, I was, <laughs> so I was like, I had one foot on each side at that time. So he couldn't figure out what had happened. And after he left the room, I said to my family, isn't he the one that said, I won't even make it through the night. And that's when my husband said, he didn't even say that in the room. He said it outside at the nurse's station and they knew something had happened. So, okay. So now you're coming back, you, you're healing yourself. How do you process this psychologically in this space because on the other space your processor is a lot faster here we're running on older equipment <laughs> not as sophisticated <laughs> you if <bet>. you will <laughs> without yeah. question so how did you process this psychologically and then how did the people around you because you came back changed how did the people Completely. around you 
How do the people around you deal with it as well? Um, it wasn't easy. It, people weren't as receptive as I thought. So the thing is, I watched my body heal dramatically, like really dramatically. I had tumors the size of golf balls, um, like all around my neck and under my arm and in my chest that had grown very rapidly. Um, and so I, I started to just see them shrink very quickly. Within three weeks, um, they could find no trace of cancer in my body. And so I was watching this happen. And the doctors were not, I mean, they, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to write in my medical records. They were astounded. But at the same time, they weren't receptive to what was happening. They kept wondering whether they had misdiagnosed me or something, which is impossible because I was dealing with it for I four mean, years. And also yeah. there was physical, physical I mean, golf tumors. ball. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's not subtle. It's It wasn't subtle. So, but, you know, you could tell that they were really having trouble processing it. But I was had so much clarity as to what had happened to me on the other side and why I had got the cancer and why it was now healing that I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. I wanted everyone to know. Now, mind you, it took me a few weeks to gain my strength back. It took me a couple mm -hmm. of months to get the strength back in my legs and, and all of that. Um, but I wanted to share with everyone that you that you are a piece of God, that there's a God in you. And, and I wanted to share with everyone that you're more powerful than you've been led to believe you are and, and that we are amazing beings. And, and I just wanted to share these things with everyone. And that if you're sick, there's a reason why you're sick. It's, you know, and I wanted to talk to people who were sick, but I didn't realize that people would not be receptive. It was, hmm. I was seen as the the crazy person that, you think? they would yeah. say, yeah, they would say it, you know, it's what's happened to you is amazing. And you've had a spontaneous remission and it was miraculous. And it really was a remarkable healing, but, but it was, it's a one-off. They wanted me to believe that I was a lucky one and that, and even some people said, you know, don't give people false hope and don't stray them from what they're doing. And so I started to shut down everything that I learned on the other side. I started to shut it down because I thought, okay, they think in fact I'm dangerous for sharing it or that I'm crazy. And so I realized that especially the medical community, they were not open to it. Um, a lot of people who were sick and who were entrenched in the, in the conventional way of treating their illnesses were also not open to listening to what I had to say. So I learned very quickly to be very careful who you share with, very careful. So at what point did you decide to come out of the near-death experience closet, Anita? So what happened is that it, this was, so it started like, okay, very early on, I didn't know what to do with this information. I thought, yeah. I can't keep it to myself. I'm not going to do what I did before and, you know, just repress myself again. I can't keep it to myself. So I shared it on an NDE website. My brother discovered this website, and this is back in 2006. He discovers mm. this website called NDERF, Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I didn't even know that what I had was an NDE. That's the thing. You have this profound experience, this state of clarity. So he shares a link to the site and he said, hey, have a look at this. There are people having experiences that are somewhat like yours, somewhat different, but somewhat like yours. So I go into the site and there are like 3,000 near-death experiences in there, people's testimonies and stories. And I started reading and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. Suddenly I felt, I just felt incredible. I felt I was guided to get this site. Um, so here's the difference from the person I was before and the person I was now after the NDE. I was able to trust the process. I was able to trust. I knew now that I have these guides helping me and I would tune into them. Prior to the NDE, of course, I didn't know that I was guided and I had guides and I have people helping me. So now <clears throat> I knew that, okay, I've been given this site for a reason. And then there's this, uh, it says here, click this link if you have, if you've had an NDE and you would like to share it. 
So I clicked the link and, um, and it opens up to this page with these questions. I answer the questions. And then there's this part where you get to add extra, all your extra information. I added my own story about the cancer, everything. Shared the whole thing. It was like really long. And I press submit. I press submit and it says, you will hear from someone in within three weeks. Literally hours later, not three weeks later, but less than 24 hours later, <clears throat> I get an email from the owner of the site, Jeffrey Long, Dr. Jeffrey Long, who mm. happened to be an oncologist. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And yes. he asked to see my medical records and he said, oh my God, this is the most profound near-death experience I have ever read. So he said, do I have your permission to put it on the home page of my site? I said, absolutely. He did not put my full name. It was just Anita M's NDE. From there, it garnered attention globally with people who are interested in that phenomena. And it wasn't my full name. I carried on with living my life in Hong Kong. I started to work freelance at work that had nothing to do with the NDE. Didn't I stopped sharing. I didn't even tell the people I worked with that this had happened to me um, while the story was set free. So I thought, I've set the story free. I've done my thing. People who <laughs> need to read it will read it. In the meantime, there's things happening in the background. Another oncologist picks up on it. Um, he actually is somebody who lives in California. Chinese guy lives in California. He says, I come to Hong Kong from time to time. Can I, he writes and he says, can I go to the hospital where this happened to you? And can I uh, scrutinize your medical records? I said, absolutely. He comes to Hong Kong. We meet, he scrutinizes my medical records. And he says, lady, whichever way I look at it, you should be dead. You should write a book on this and I will write the medical testimony to give it validation. And then yeah. And then he gets me on the radio where he validates everything I say. Then he holds a medical conference where he validates everything I say, that this is the timeline. This is how it happened. She shouldn't have healed and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so he was the one that set me on that path first where I had a, I had something like he, his medical testimony to, uh, I guess, fight back, if you will, for the people who were trying to debunk me. And then Wayne Dyer discovered my story. And then that's oh, when everything changed. And it was his birthday yesterday. Oh, Wayne. So Wayne is the one that kind of opened the door for you and yes. really kind of really exploded your story worldwide. Yes. But it all started with submitting it to NDERF. Yes. Jeffrey, I've had on Jeffrey on the show. He's wonderful. Yeah, he is he's wonderful. He is wonderful. And I did get a chance to meet Wayne once at a, at a meet and greet and his energy was so wonderful. He's, he he's was, amazing. He was amazing. God rest his soul. Um, that is, that's amazing. So then you're, and then you were off the path, off, off to the that's races, it. as they say. Yes. Wayne, I toured with him for four years. Wayne, the, as soon as he read my story, he had Hay House track me down. He insisted on speaking with me on the phone. And he said to me, I am going to make you well, world known. I'm going to make your book a New York Times bestseller. He said, no, he said, I want you to write a book. I didn't have a book at that time. <laughs> he said, I want you to write a book and I am going to make you a New York Times bestseller. And, and he did. And then that first book, it got translated into 45 languages. Oh my God. That's so amazing. Anita. You have such a remarkable story, Anita. And I really do hope that people listening find not only comfort in it, but inspiration and hope uh, and understanding on these lessons that you brought back, which are profound lessons that people really need to understand because down here it is muddy and there is a lot of, yes. it's very muddy. It's very tempting. Even the best of us lose our, our, our like, maybe I shouldn't yes. do that, but you know, inside you're gets like, no, do that. You're like, but what will my mom think? Or what will my dad think? Or what will my spouse think? Or, oh my God, should I leave that job? But really like all these things you question constantly, but it seems that you, that I'll, I'll, I'll kind of say what your dad said, live your life fearlessly. 
Yes. It's beautiful. Thank you. And what he meant by live your life fearlessly is be yourself fearlessly. He's not, he wasn't trying to tell me go bungee jumping if that's not your thing, but it's just <laughs> be unafraid to unapologetically be you because to repress you means is really sending yourself the message that there's something wrong with me that I have to repress it. Now, Anita, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Ask all of my guests. What is your definition of living a fulfilled life? That's a great question. For me, a fulfilled life. So if it's the end of my life, I want to know that I've left the world a better place than what it was when I came into it. And I want to know that I have been of service and that I have found joy, passion, love, that I've loved enough um, and I will feel fulfilled. If you had a chance to go into a time machine and go back in time to talk to that little girl when you were growing up, what advice would you give her? Wow. I would tell her that you don't have to work at being spiritual. You don't have to work at being good. You are already spiritual. You were born spiritual. Just let that spirit shine. I would also want her to know that she is an expression of God. How do you define God? God is the infinite energy that runs through all of us, the infinite energy. And I sometimes call God the infinite net because, because we are all a part of God. We're all a facet of God. It's like sometimes I'll use the analogy of a, of a mirror ball. And if you think of a mirror ball and imagine there's billions and billions of little mirror tiles instead of just a few. And imagine if each of those mirror tiles is one of us and we're all connected to make this bright, shiny ball. And that is God. And because we're all connected, we actually, when we tune in intuitively, we can actually connect to information. And when I say we're connected, each of those little shiny mirror tiles is not our, us, our physical body, it's your soul. So each tile, your, your tile is all your lifetimes. My tile, mirror tile is all my lifetimes. So imagine all our souls are connected. Mm -hmm. And so when you tune in telepathically, my soul is connected to your soul and your soul is connected to everyone else's soul. And when you, when you're intuitive, you have access to all the information when you tap in, when you meditate and you get downloads and you get aha moments, you're getting information from the infinite net because we're all connected. It can come from anybody's soul. I always, one of the things I always say is that we're God's algorithm. We kind of yes. go off, we kind of go off and do, we have free will. We can do it a little bit, but there's an intention, but sometimes we go here. Sometimes we go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, we are God's algorithm. And finally, um, what is the ultimate purpose of life? The ultimate purpose is, I'm going to give you my, my short answer, is to eat chocolate. <laughs> There's a, that's a very deep comment, my dear. It's deep, it's profound, and everyone listening should really meditate on that comment. <laughs> <laughs> now, where can people find out more about you and the amazing work you're doing in the world? Thank you. Um, my website is anitamorjani.com. And I am, I do have a YouTube channel. I would love for people to come and watch my YouTube videos and follow me on YouTube. And I also, of course, have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I believe I have a TikTok as well. <laughs> <laughs> you, when I think TikTok, I think you, Anita. So... <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I have a TikTok too. And my kids are like, why do you have a TikTok? I go, it's a spiritual thing. You'll, have, you'll understand later. Um, and do you have any parting messages for uh, our audience? Um, I have so many, but I'm going to pare it down. I want everybody to know that you are more powerful than you've been led to believe you are. I would want people to know that you don't have to work at being spiritual. And I want people to know you have nothing to fear. And when you have a choice to make, when you make a choice, make your choice from a place of love, not from a place of fear. In other words, what do you love to do? What makes your heart sing? Not 
What should I do to avoid the consequences? Anita, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for uh, the work that you're doing to help awaken the, the planet. I, I truly appreciate you telling your story and, and for everything you're doing. Thank you again. Thank you for your amazing questions. I truly enjoyed speaking with you. I want to thank Anita so much for coming on the show and sharing her story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get her free near-death experience course, Discover the Transformative Power of NDEs, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 276. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.